Hello, everybody. My name is Rick McCutcheon. I'm a Dynamics 365 MVP, and I want to thank you today for joining us on Digital Adoption Talks. Today, there's over 300,000 business professionals with digital adoption in their job titles on LinkedIn. On this show, along with my co-host, Joachim Schirmacher, CEO of ClickLearn, we talk to some of the leading digital adoption experts in the Microsoft ecosystem. This week, we are thrilled to be talking to Louis Trahan from the CEO of Learnistics. Louis and his team help organizations create and deliver fantastic learning experiences through live and virtual conferences, virtual events, webinars, and roadshows. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us and introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about yourselves. Let's start with you. Well, as you uh, already presented me, I'm the CEO of ClickLearn. So we do a digital adoption solution uh, specializing in the Microsoft Dynamics field. And we uh, serve uh, roughly 400 customers around the world, a lot of ISVs uh, and a lot of Microsoft uh, partners as well. Okay, thank you, Louis. You've got probably a a lot of things you can tell us about your background, but I know you've been in the learning business for a while. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, Rick, I'm the founder of lastminutetraining.ca, the CEO of Logistics. Uh, Logistics stands for the logistics of learning. And what we do is we help people with all the logistics surrounding learning, whether that's finding trainers, whether that's running programs, or bringing software and whatever support they need, we help support them. And uh, our focus is primarily in the IT space and in some soft skills. Okay, thanks, Louis. So here's our sort of, we'll kick things off talking a little bit about what's gone on over the last couple of years. So over the last couple of years, organizations went through some tough times and a few business disruptions. Um, They had to pivot from mostly doing face-to-face education um, to more of an option relying on a technology interface. What did we learn about learning over this period? Let's start with you, Louis. I think uh, it's it's been certainly a, tough period for L&D to accommodate and to, to, to change, and they have learned a lot of lessons. The first lesson I think that they learned is that virtual learning is actually quite effective when it's done right. Uh, before COVID hit, there was virtual learning and, and people were struggling to fill seats, struggling to get it, uh, learners to adopt the technology, but uh, now I feel that we've learned that you know if you do it right, it can be just as effective. Uh, and we've had a few other lessons along the way as well. We've learned that, you know, uh, we insist on getting together in person because of legacy ideas. And we've learned that we now have to question those legacy ideas. Like, what is the true cost of pulling employees away? Why are we pulling them away? What's the opportunity cost? And all of these costs and all of these questions have come to light because of this virtual platforms, the virtual learning that we've been doing. Um, and I think from the actual learning and development side, for the, the instructional design side, uh, we've really learned that uh, two things. One is that you can't just take your live learning and move it virtual. No. You have to refactor it. Everything takes a little bit longer to run virtually. Uh, you need more breakout rooms. You need more engagement. You need uh, less time in between breaks uh, to keep your learners engaged. Um, and I think that the second thing we've learned is that it can be very tough on instructors and facilitators. To, they, they not only had to learn to, to use new technology now, but they've had to learn how to reconnect online, you know, count with their hands backwards so that it looks forwards, uh, and learn how to use the technology. And a lot of them have been left kind of high and dry to do all of this alone, and uh, it's, it's led to a bit of instructor uh, burnout and fatigue. 
uh, and the smart companies have learned to understand how to address that. Okay, thank you. Uh, Joachim, would you like to add anything about uh, the changing s scenarios around No, I, I really want to uh, tell an interesting story. I had a talk with a, a very, very large uh, uh, vendor, a software vendor that, that wanted to go completely virtual on the entire uh, learning experience they created, sort of a, a, a very large academy experience. What they did was they brought in uh, all the restrictions they had in the old school learning, right? The, the idea that you can only fit a certain number of people into the room, they actually completely brought that into a virtual space. So they said there's a maximum, we can have a maximum of 25 participants on this uh, particular session where I immediately looked at that and thought, but why? Why are we not extending that into uh, servicing at a different time than we are actually uh, conveying the content that we want people to understand and create two different experiences around that in order, order to get a, a better logistic? I don't see the idea of inheriting all the bad things from the classroom training, which is a limitation on the number of people that you can bring in. Why would you inherit that in a, a virtual world? And I think that really goes to speak, Louis, from what you said, that you know, we can see that it's not a one-to-one we, we cannot, you know, we cannot take the old classroom training and just say, look, we're bringing it one to one with the virtual idea. We need to rethink the way that we are doing it. Uh, and I'm really uh, excited about what, what you're doing, uh, Louis, and I, I look forward to learn a little more on, on how you're doing that practically. And maybe, Louis, why don't we talk a little bit about that? Because Logistics was really born over the last couple of years. And, you know, talk about how you were set up for you know, instruction uh, before COVID and then once it hit, what happened? Yeah, I mean, we went through a little bit of a, of a roller coaster ride. You know, we did exactly what Joachim was saying. Uh, all, and it wasn't us, it's all the, the clients we were supporting who were running learning just kind of quickly moved it to virtual. All of a sudden, everyone was on Zoom or Teams uh, or one of the other platforms just delivering like they normally do. And uh, they realized that, you know what, you just can't stick a camera and a microphone in front of a meeting and have that same knowledge transfer. So uh, they, they quickly realized, and, and what we've helped them do is refactor the programs. I mentioned a little bit of it in my uh, the earlier question, you know, more breaks, more engagement, breaking it up. Uh, as Joachim says, you can have larger groups, but if you're gonna have larger groups, then you have to build time for those groups to actually have the knowledge transfer. You have to have support for the, for the instructor because it was hard enough in a live classroom to teach 25 people. Now, if you're going to teach 50 and now you're on a new platform, you need to have a producer working with you or a co-facilitator, someone who can help manage that technology just a little bit better. Um, and I think they, what we really had to get through to people's heads were, that's a horrible thing to say. Let, let's, let's say one of the biggest thought changes we had to have was in the engagement, in how often it had to be in what type of engagement would work online. Um, and uh, they needed to think about how the instructors were going to be able to engage. And, and that's why I mentioned earlier virtual producers, bringing virtual producers in, help the instructor to keep the focus, to keep the connection. Because right? anytime you move from, from talking like this and presenting to, oh, I gotta do a breakout room or something, you lose that connection with your learner. And if it takes you a few seconds, it actually feels like it takes you a few minutes. Um, so those were a lot, of, a lot of the things that we went through with our clients in the beginning, trying to teach them just get that mindset changed and to learn these new skills. I don't know if that answered your question. Okay, right? great. 
No, I, th I think that that's exactly, um, you know, where I wanted to go with it because, you know, you were teaching people in classrooms. I remember you were doing a lot of road shows mm -hmm. with companies and all of a sudden it made a switch and, and people realized we had to find a way to, to do this. And I recently, you know, worked with you on a presentation where I had a producer and I tell you, it was a huge difference yeah. than trying to manage that while I'm trying to manage my curriculum and, uh, and the students at the same time. So here's the next question, and we're going to start with you again, Louis. Um, how do you think these changes affected the structure and skill sets of trainers? I'm going to add curriculum builders um, and learning organizations. Yeah, I mean, sound like, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but I think uh, the biggest thing that uh, curriculum designers and, and instructors both had to learn was you have to refactor the programs. Like that was just period. No matter what you were teaching before, the way you were teaching it live isn't going to work now. You have to refactor, and refactoring means you know breaking it up into smaller chunks, uh, smaller learning chunks. It means making sure you're really doing engagement. And let me tell you, engagement just isn't polling. I mean, you need much more engagement than that. Uh, instructors had to learn how to present on camera. It really is different on camera. You, you can't just walk around the room. You're you're here. You got this little square to be in. You have to make that connection, uh, and. Uh, they had a much harder time connecting and reading. And I think most instructors have made that progression now. It's been fun to watch. Uh, and then the last learning, again, virtual producers are not, they are not a nice to have, they are a necessary part of your team. If you wanna run a, a, an effective online learning program, you should be using a producer. And there was a, a study that came out recently from the Institute for Corporate Performance that showed that most of the high-performing organizations that they interviewed judged or, or deemed that having a virtual producer is what made their learning more effective. It was one of their, it was just, it was a must-have. It wasn't a, uh, an option. Uh, and I think we're going to continue to see that. And that's a good point because I know when I teach online, um, it's harder because I don't see my audience. And I like to use an interface where I actually can see some audience who are sitting there and whether they're not doing anything or not, I still feel I'm, I'm connected. And with a producer, you know, you've got a co-pilot, right? So if your slides go off or if you go on mute or something happens or one of the students comes off mute, they can handle it. And it doesn't kind of break, you know, stop the whole class and, you know, make you know have to restart and stop over and over again so you know i think that's a, a very very good point if you were in a classroom and the powerpoint project the projector wasn't working or the coffee machine was out of coffee you wouldn't expect the instructor to stop and troubleshoot right or stop and make podcast but that's what we get here oh rick's having a problem so yes. I, hold on everybody just kind of hang tight while i chat with rick and figure it out uh it just isn't what you yeah. what you want and rick another thing about having a producer is you know, you may be using Teams 80% of the time for your training, but then you're talking to a client who doesn't want to use Teams for some reason. They want to use one of the others. And as an instructor, now you have to move over to a whole new platform. So that's where having a producer who produces on all the different platforms really helps you, you know, ease that stress. <clears throat> okay, thanks. Um, uh, Joachim, let's talk a little bit about, you know, how this online learning has really changed how we build curriculum and uh, how organizations have to 
I guess, pivot to be able to provide ongoing. Yeah, I, I think that the you know to us obviously this this has been an extremely important time because we what we can see is the entire uh, evolving of, of the uh, of the digital adoption solutions, um, and that means basically uh, in the rawest sense, it's a speech bubble, right? You bring a speech bubble to the screen, and it will follow you and guide you through a particular process. Now, now. When I started, I think we were one of the very few that had that technology. Now there are around 450 that have that technology. Now, what they don't have is all the, the remaining uh, uh, things around the e-learning platform, right? They don't have the, the video content anymore. Uh, they, they completely uh, took that away and said, look, training the way you knew it is dead. And this is like the, the fifth time in my life I've heard that training is dead. Nevertheless, I, I know that Lewis is running a relatively good business uh, on training, so it's probably not completely dead yet. It might be a little exaggerated. Uh, and, I, and I truly don't believe that a speech bubble, uh, which is like a GPS, uh, will uh, help you. Uh, uh, or you can, you can say that that's a, a transfer of knowledge. What I think you will do is you will rely on that GPS to constantly work, right? I don't think we're getting any better to navigate our cars through the cities and find our ways. If I tell you to go to 12th Avenue on and the corner of something, you'll turn on the GPS. And if you're left without the GPS, you would not be able to find your direction. And that is that is actually what, what indicates that there's no knowledge transfer going on with a GPS system at the other end. Now, what the GPS system can help you do is that if you're looking at those rarely performed processes that you will never learn, right? like uh, time expense uh, or your expenses, monthly expenses that you're doing in your company. And you have that operation. You can do it 10 times over, but you're only doing it once a month. You'll never be able to transition that knowledge, right? Doing your annual report, you're doing that once a year. We're not going to teach you how to do that. Now, that's where I, I think that the speech bubble technology comes into play. The rarely performed tasks uh, are really necessary, but I don't think that in any way it constitutes a knowledge transfer. I think that's a huge problem that we haven't even seen the beginning of yet. The idea that we are saying that this constitutes training uh, and the fact that we are not, we are not learning. Uh, so, and, and there's actually a very good possibility that the entire digital adoption solution is not up to date. And that means that the day your GPS doesn't work, you're gonna have a pretty hard time even finding home, right? Uh, and that, that I believe is, we are going to see a problem. So I think that in many ways training is not, not at all dead. And I think that, that we will see, uh, what Louis is doing uh, for, for many, many, many years to come, but we can absolutely see that the way that we learn, uh, smaller units, right. That there's a shorter, uh, mm -hmm. attention span, uh, among the, the people that are learning now, there's a high degree of, uh, that they want to self-serve meaning that they want to be able to take content and learn on their own. So the kind of event-driven uh, thing that we used to do, we're much more going toward, you know, recording the sessions. I'm sure you're seeing the same, Louis, that, you know, you have an audience there uh, and, and the other half of the audience is actually now taking on the videos after the, the course is completed, right? Mm -hmm. So, so um, I think that, that there's definitely a transition there. Okay, thank you. So, you know, you're hitting on, you know, what that future of digital adoption is going to look like. So, Louis, how do you see learning changing over the next decade? So, I think learning is going to uh, stay primarily virtual uh, or digital. Um, there was a, that same organization, Institute for Corporate Performance, put out a 
survey that showed, and they 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 polled organizations with more than a thousand people, so large organizations. But sixty nine percent that said between six uh, of the respondents said between sixty and a hundred percent of their training or their learning will remain virtual. And that learning is not only soft skills but also uh, software skills. So what we're really talking about when we talk about digital adoption. <clears throat> so I think that that's going to stay. So we need to figure out how to address it. And I think uh, Joachim's hit this right on the head. Uh, it, it is, if, I look to my own kids, I have two young, younger kids and how they learn right now. And when they're doing assignments, they jump to Google and they search, you know, when was Plato born? Uh, and so they're learning what they need to learn when they need to learn it. Uh, and they're not bothering to memorize a lot of stuff. And so I, I think this idea of the speech bubble technology, or we'll call it on-demand guided bite-sized learning, whatever we want to call it, I think for digital adoption, it's a really important uh, tool. And I think it's what we're going to have to provide for this next generation. Because they're not going to sit through, and if you even think about e-learning, which was like a cool thing 30 years ago um, or 20 years ago, e-learning had to still go through this structured approach to getting from A to Z and when really what I really want to know is how do I do my expense report which is right here uh, and so being able to jump right to that um, is is great um, I think one of the other things that are gonna be challenging and I'm pretty sure that uh, Kim has a lot to say on this is that technology because we've gone to this cloud-based technology now uh, updates are being forced on you so in the past you would buy a on on-premise install of something like Office, and you would know that you can train on Excel because it was going to be the same for four or five years. Whereas now you could get an update on some of this software every few months. And as a as a uh, learning organization or learning department organization for onboarding for for keeping things going, you have to build it adapt that learning really quick. And so you can't take like a eight-hour course and adapt it. You need to adapt just those pieces. And so having the tools to do that, I think, will become uh, really important for the future. Okay. Uh, Joachim, would you like to add anything about the future yeah, of learning? Yeah, I, I think that in many ways, it will definitely be the idea that uh, off-the-shelf, uh, vendor-based uh, learning, uh, I think, is going to be really difficult when it comes to these digital platforms. And that has to do with the way that we are composing our entire infrastructure. We are now selecting much, much, uh, much, much bigger amount of, of uh, applications inside our business. So that's grown like 40% over the last four years when we look at large enterprises. So they have much, much more uh, applications. And, and, and through the entire idea around the composable enterprise where you can basically you know, take your business package capabilities and bring them in like bricks of Lego, you will to a large uh, extent actually be completely unique in every business. And that means that it's going to be really difficult to pull something off the shelf and say, look, I'm going to do this unless we're talking, you know, basic word skills and Excel uh, skills. But if you're learning processes inside the business, they'll probably take you uh, across a number of unique, relatively unique systems inside your business. At least the, the, the composition of those will be unique. And that will mean that, that I think that a larger training responsibility comes onto the, the, the enterprises and they're going to need help with that. So that's probably where, where, where Louis will come into play and be able to facilitate that entire uh, idea around the, the company that these are our, our four unique products. This is what we need to be trained in. And we need to be trained in the process that we are doing on those particular products. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so 
if we start to look at um, as a Microsoft partner and I'm implementing cloud solutions for my clients, learning has to become a much bigger part of my business. And we would call it training before. Um, but it's not just, you know, I'm going to design a system, I'm going to build a system. I've got to build in digital adoption. So how does a partner go about that and changing their business to do that? Let's start with you, Louie. Well, I think they have to, first of all, you, you need to keep on top of changing technology, right? You need to know what's out there, what's happening. Uh, you need to be uh, aware enough to bring this to your clients before it becomes problematic, right? Um, I think you need to continue to update and refactor the learning. So if you're the learning partner, um, as you see these changes, you need to be proactive and you need to get in on it. Um, I think you need to be able to provide affordable, effective learning to the clients, and that means having options, right? It could be guided learning, could be live, it could be virtual classes, it could be one-on-one, -on -one, uh, it even could be e-learning in some cases. But your role now is to understand how the changes in the technology are affecting your client's business operations and how keeping abreast of that and keeping their employees up to speed with that will help the bottom line. I, I think it, you come to the table with a much bigger uh, strategic role. And I don't think it's, it's no longer a competitive difference to be able to provide this. I think it just keeps you in the game to be able to provide this. And this is why we're seeing 300,000 people with digital adoption in their, their job titles on LinkedIn. Yeah. And it's funny, digital adoption is, is we've, it's been thrust on us, right? And, and we've been seeing this, 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 you know, chart go up. I mean, digital adoption, how many people were knowledge workers 20 years ago versus now? And, you know, we get a lot of calls for people for training. And in the last few months, we've had an unprecedented amount of calls from people just wanting to learn basic computer skills. So that to me says that digital adoption is moving down through the organization, right? Like even at the, at the, the entry level, you need to have some basic uh, computer skills. So I think digital adoption is just, I mean, it's gonna become just more and more and more uh, an integral part of what we're doing. It's, it's not even a choice, like it just has to happen. And Joachim, as, as you know, the founder of ClickLearn, and you have many Microsoft partners that are you know, providing ClickLearn as a foundation, um, how, is a, how is it important to a partner organization to, to have this offering when they actually deploy yeah, technology? I think I agree with you when you say, Rick, that it's no longer about you know, positioning yourself against uh, competitors. Uh, I think that it's uh, to a much larger degree a question of, of uh, simply being uh, kept in the game. Um, if you're seeing the amount of digital transformation happening right now in the enterprises, it's at a, at a really high level. It's the same IT department that's driving those transformations. It's not a new, uh, completely new organization driving that through. It's the same 12 guys that were there yesterday. Now you, we, we just up the ante. It's really high, right? We asked them to do 12 projects a year instead of five. Now, the problem with that is that, that a number of those services needs to be pushed towards the partner because otherwise it's not doable. And that goes for the, mm -hmm. the adoption to a very large degree. They expect you to have a, a, a constructive uh, idea around how are we going to digitally adopt to the platform and not just in terms of uh, a training event, but also on how you how you're actually planning to make sure that we are at the maximum performance inside the application that you are delivering for us. 
and and we just see that pushback happening to the uh, client now we are on on a, on a, a SaaS platform as well right so evergreen uh, updates coming through how do we make sure that we that you know our entire uh, adoption system still works how do we make sure that is kept current we push it to the partner it's your responsibility you're going to help us do that <laughs> Mm -hmm. That's a really good point because at one time, if the partner came in and deployed the software and the software worked, it ran, you figured that, okay, the partner's done. But I think it's it, the software's up and running because it's in the cloud. Now my people need to use it. So if my people aren't using it, I'm staring back at my partner over the table going, what's the problem? Exactly right. You know, why aren't they using it, right? Yeah. It's now the responsibility of the partner um, to have that uh uh, yeah, remember we're on subscription models today, right? So we also lowered the fee of getting out of something. If we don't like the smell of you in the room, we'll get out, right? It's it's very easy. It's yeah. cheap, and and that is something I, I think that that the agenda needs to be pushed from the partner, and the the customers will require it. So that's it's that simple. Okay. Okay, gentlemen, you know, thanks for your time today. This has been a great discussion on learning and digital adoption. Um, Louis, do you have any closing thoughts uh, for our audience? Just one. I mean, we're in a very unique position in L&D digital adoption right now. We're at a crossroads and we have a choice to make. Do we go back to where we were or do we start from where we are now? So I just think that um, as an industry, we need to just start where we are now. Continue with the path we've started that's been thrust upon us and and get better. <laughs> I think going back right now is a mistake. And uh, so, yeah, that's my thought. It's just start where we are now. There's no need to go back. Okay. Thanks. Joachim, I just want the Louis t-shirt. Is that doable? No <laughs> Send me your address. I'm sure there's one on the way. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. Thank you very much. We'll see you uh, in the future to talk more about learning and digital adoption. Thanks, Rick.